Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we're going to dive into an idea here that I think is, as a Christian, is probably one of the most important themes we will ever talk about. And this is the idea of identity, who we are, who are, who are we. And uh, in fact, when we understand it, when we understand that our identity is in Christ, it, it, it unlocks a lot of things in our lives. It reveals to us how we relate to other people. It helps us with navigating through life with a mission and a purpose that is God-given and driven by God. And so that's what we're going to dive into. And identity actually is a very core theme in Scripture, in fact. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, from the very beginning of humanity, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is, this is all identity language in his own image, male and female he created. So God, from the very beginning, is ascribing identity to us. He's telling us who we are, right? We understand that, that we have been made in the image of God, that male and female has been made by God. God is our creator. God is the one who has defined us already. And what's interesting is if we just better understood that, like if we could better understand the fact that, that, we, that, that the person sitting next to you, that the people that work in your office are image bearers of God, it would solve tons of problems in our world today if we could understand that about each other. We have been made in the image of God. So from the very beginning, there's this identity language in Scripture. And then the Apostle Paul comes along, and he further defines it by basically saying, you are in Christ, okay? So your identity is found in Christ. Christ. And we talked about this previously. I did a series previously where we were exploring Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6, uh, chapter 4 through chapter 6. Um, the way Paul uh, organizes his letter to the Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, he is talking all about identity. Like, this is who you are. You are chosen, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're liberated. This is who you are. And then chapter four starts with, therefore, this is how you should live. So if you know who you are, then you will know how to live. So basically what Paul is saying in Ephesians, the whole idea of Ephesians is that behavior flows out of identity. Once you know who you are, you know how to live. And that's where Paul goes with this. So some of you grew up in church where that was all mixed up where what you got a regular dose of was behaviorism. You go to church and they sit down and they tell you, this is how you're supposed to act. Be a good boy. Do these things. Don't do these things. There was probably more emphasis on the don't do these things than there was on the do these things, right? And you grew up with that. And that was, that was all there. And you, so you walk out of church with this weight of stuff that you cannot do. And there's very few things that you can do. And very little was talked about in terms of who you are. And if more time had been spent on who you are, you might have understood better how to behave and who to become. So behavior flows out of identity. Now, identity is a central theme in Scripture, but it's also a core value in our culture. In fact, you can't escape it nowadays. 
Everybody is talking about identity, 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 identity. In fact, it's the primary moral value of our culture. Live out your identity. Be true to who you are is the, the, the mantra that we hear these days. Now, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We, do, we don't want fake people walking around. We want you to be true to who you are. But who decides who you are? How do you decide who you are? That's the big question, really. And that's really what we're going to explore here, that God actually has something to say about your identity. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse, verse 1. The Apostle Paul begins the, the, the book of Ephesians with identity language. He says this. He says, to God's holy people. So he identifies, Paul speaking, he says, God's holy people. He says, you, like he's writing a letter to some, a church in Ephesus, and he doesn't really, like, he may not know everybody there, but he is already identifying them. He says, you are God's holy people. This is who you are. You're his holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He adds this, and we'll talk more about the in Christ part in a second. So he's identifying them as holy. Now, if you know a little bit about Ephesus, you would realize that most people in Ephesus probably didn't feel like that. Like they were, when they got the letter, I'm sure they were reading, it's like, wait, Paul, did you mean to send this to Ephesus? You, you might have been wanting to send it to Galatia. I, I don't know if you're really, or Jerusalem. This sounds more like Jerusalem, you know, language. Because if you only knew, Paul, what we were doing last year, like we were in the Temple Diana in ritual sexual promiscuity and adultery and everything you can imagine. So you can't be talking about us when you're talking about holy people. And Paul is being very specific. He's calling them out. That maybe they felt that this was a case of mistaken identity. We're not holy people. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, yeah, I agree with them. I don't feel holy. Like there's this mistaken identity that happens. I was a, a few years ago, I was back at, I had to meet somebody at Java House in Iowa City. They asked to meet with me, kind of a pastoral type of meeting, and they were looking for somebody to talk about some of the challenges that they were facing. <clears throat> so I went to the Java House in downtown Iowa City, drove there, parked my truck in a, in a ramp, and then walked to the Java House. As I'm walking in, I had ordered my coffee, and I'm walking towards the back where the person was sitting in the back. He's sitting on a table in the back. I start walking towards the back of the, in the Java House, and as I'm passing by the the counter there, uh, somebody on the other side said, a barista or somebody said, hey, Charlie. And I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think he was, I thought he was probably talking to somebody else, but like I looked around, I was the only person walking by. And so I thought, well, he's talking to me. So I kind of looked back and sure enough, they were looking straight at me. And, and then he kind of made that look like, oh, like you're not Charlie, right? And so mistaken identity. So I keep walking. I go to sit back, back there with this person. I'm sitting at the table. And we're talking, my back is towards the door. So if you've ever been in a Java house in Iowa City, it's kind of long and narrow, you know. And so I'm sitting at this table with my back towards the door when suddenly I feel these cold hands touching my ears and my face from behind. And, I, you know, honestly, I thought this was a, this is a very Chris Carey move, by the way, okay. Chris Carey would do that all the time to me. Like he'd walk up and shock me from behind like that, Right. And so I thought, but doesn't, the hands don't seem like a Chris Carey. So I turn and look, and it was a woman I had never, I don't even know, you know? And she, when I looked at her, she looked at me, and she went, oh, I'm sorry. 
She goes, I thought, I thought you were my husband, Charles. <laughs> so, so uh, okay, so that's mistaken identity. That's forgivable, right? That's forgivable. Um, but what was not forgivable is what she said after that. She goes, I, I, I'm so sorry, you know, from, you have the same haircut as my husband. You have that cute little bald spot back there, you know? <laughs> That's when I discovered I had a bald spot in the back of my head because <laughs> she pointed it out. Like, that's how I got identified. That's the guy with a bald spot in the back of his head. Like, couldn't it have been more like, look at the broad shoulders he has or look how cool he looks or how tall he is. But no, it's the bald spot in the back of your head. So identifiers, right? And so sometimes there's these mistaken identity things that happen to all of us. And in fact, I know it's happened this morning already. For some of you, not like literally your person has been mistaken, but um, we were singing a song, I'm no longer a slave, and uh, part of the song is I've been redeemed, been set free, I'm forgiven, and as you're singing those words, you're saying, no, that's not me, that's a mistaken identity, I don't know who you're talking about in that song, but that's not me, and so you're navigating this, this challenge that you feel like that's not who I am. There's these voices that are speaking to us. So Paul describes them, these Ephesians, with this phrase. They are in Christ. That's a very theologically significant phrase that's used here in this passage. We're not really going to dive too much into it this morning. We'll talk more about it as we go along. But they're in Christ. They're in Christ. There's a whole bunch of things that that when we understand that we're in Christ, it, it unlocks a whole lot of stuff about us. Like when we understand that we're in Christ, we understand that we've been chosen, that we've been forgiven, that we've been liberated, that we're free because Christ paid the price. We un- all of us understand that. We, we use that language often, but we don't always necessarily live it out. We're in Christ. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I want to read the whole chapter nine times. What you notice, nine times he uses the word in Christ, nine times. And each time, it's something different that he's pointing out, something different about our identity, about who we are, okay? So let's read. <clears throat> let's read this together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you have every spiritual, in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. And he goes on, I'm not going to comment on all of these. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we are holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption. We've been adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we have received this grace in Christ or through Christ. Verse 7, in him we have, talking about Christ, in him we have redemption, through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his, of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the, when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we are also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who worked out, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in, in order that we who were, first, <clears throat> who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, you were included in Christ 
when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. And so Paul, chapter one, probably have read it before, and as you read through it, you're like, okay, I'm confused. And we just kind of move on. Let's just go to chapter two, and then you get more confused, and you just kind of move on until you get to something more understandable. And that's understandable, because this is a lot of theological language that the Apostle Paul is using, but it's all identity language. He's talking about who we are in Christ. And here's a few things that he talks about. He says that we're chosen, for example. Like, you ever been in, like, recess or PE, and you're waiting to be picked on a team? And while you're waiting to be picked, there's all this anxiety inside of you, like, oh, just pick me, pick me, pick me. And then when they pick you, you're like, the anxiety's gone. Like you're now, you've been chosen, you've been named, you're on the team, right? I think there's a lot of people that live life this way, this anxiousness, like I don't know who I am, so will you pick me, will you choose me, will you name me? So culturally, we think that identity is something that we choose, but biblically, we are chosen. We are chosen. You have been chosen. I don't know how more to emphasize that. You have been chosen. Another identifier that the Apostle Paul uses is holy and blameless. Like that's your identity. You are holy and blameless. And we don't always feel that way. We don't always feel holy and blameless. In fact, we look at our lives and we say, no, I was at fault. I am to blame. And that oftentimes leads to shame, which then leads to anger or it leads to withdrawal. And so we're just kind of like in this crazy place. But you are blameless, holy and blameless. You're blameless not because you're blameless. Okay, let me clarify that. You're blameless not because you are blameless. You're blameless because he is blameless. And in him, you are now the righteousness of God. That when you believed, you took on him. And that's why you're holy and blameless. Another identifier that Paul uses is the word adopted. Like you are his son. You are his daughter. There was a video floating around the internet uh, a few years back that um, kind of better captures this than how I can explain it. Take a look. All right, well, there's one more gift. We have one more gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you carefully open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? I had to watch that video like 150 times before I would not cry during the video. <laughs> but some of you, you've been waiting all your lives to be, to be chosen like that. 
to be named. To hear somebody say, you belong to me. And in Christ, you have been adopted. You have been chosen. And so the identity question isn't who I am, but the identity question is actually whose am I? Who do I belong to? And then in verse 7, in Christ I am redeemed and forgiven. God takes what is broken and he turns it for good. And so you are redeemed. You are forgiven. The problem is that we have these competing identities, right? That's, I think our challenge is that we could hear these things from Scripture and say, yes, yes, yes. But then we walk out the door and we have these voices telling us, no, that's not you. And so there's these competing identities going on inside of us. And so we have to decide what is our identity. Like who gets to say who I am? Who determines my identity? And that's precisely what Paul is trying to address here. So let's go back to verse 1 of Ephesians 1. He says, to God's holy people, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So there's two identifiers here. Uh, The first identifier, he's talking about God's holy people. Where are they? They're in Ephesus. So that's an identifier. And to the faithful in Christ, it's another identifier. But the problem with this is that these are kind of like competing identities. Like to be in Christ and to be in Ephesus don't really go together. They're kind of, it's, 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 it's difficult. Now we understand that many, many of us can be identified by where we come from. Like if you met with my in-laws and just talked to them for 30 seconds, you would know they're from the South by how they talk, right? So we understand that most of us are identified by, you know, the place we grew up in, you know, our native, native country or our native uh, state or town. We know that somebody from New York City, for example, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're defined in many ways by their, you know, very uh, fast-paced city life kind of uh, feel about them, you know, and West Coast. Los Angeles also has a big city kind of lifestyle, but they're less fast-paced than they are in New York City. And, you know, go to Louisiana, they're very slow, laid back, no fast pace at all, you know. And so these are all identifiers, right? These are all things that, that help somebody know that that's who you are, right? These are things that determine who we are, and that was really true of Ephesus. Ephesus was a commercial, a commercial city on the Aegean Sea, and so they were in many ways identified by their economy. They had the largest library at that time, the largest library in the world, and so they were really big into education and learning and knowledge, and so they were in many ways identified by their knowledge and by their learning. Uh, they had the Temple of Diana, in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the world. And the Temple of Diana was a place that was very, had a very known for temple prostitution and for uh, religious kind of a, a display of sexuality there. And so they were known, big part of their identity was sexuality. They had the amphitheater in Ephesus, could seat over 25,000 people back in the day. Can you imagine that? Over 25,000 people in an amphitheater. And so entertainment was a big thing. That was an identifier for them. If you were from Ephesus, you were big into entertainment. Um, They had a huge shopping center, like three football fields long, just huge shopping center, big for that day, not so big for today. And so they were very much identified by their consumerism. And so these were things that identified somebody from Ephesus. So to the holy people of God in Ephesus who are in Christ Jesus, this is who they are. They're Ephesians. 
Now, these identifiers that I just mentioned, you know, you know their, their identity was their economy, their education, their identity was their, you know, sexuality was a part of their identity, entertainment was a part of their identity, uh, consumerism was a part of their identity. Doesn't that sound familiar to us? Okay, it's not a trick question. <laughs> it's very familiar to us, right? Like, we could say that's exactly what our culture is identified by. These are the things that very much identify us today. Like, you might identify yourself by what you do. Like, we, it's very natural. When we introduce ourselves to somebody, we go and we meet somebody, say, hey, my name is Rich, and follow it up with, I'm a pastor. Like, here's my name, and this is what I do, right? And if I don't say I'm a pastor, then within 30 seconds, they'll say, well, what do you do? That's a question, right? How many times have you met somebody and you start talking within a very short, brief time at the very beginning of that conversation, you, start at, you ask them, what do they do? Like, it somehow allows us to understand who they are by what they do. It's an identifier. And so a lot of emphasis on success and achievement. And so Paul's gonna address this lie that identity is, some, is something that you know you, you achieve instead of something that is, that is given, that is, that is done for you, that you receive, right? So your identity might be based on the degree that you've received or earned. Might be based on promotion that you got at work. Like you became vice president of the company and wow, you feel so good about yourself, that's your identity. And you feel really quick to put that, make sure that's on your business card, on VP of this. You know, you feel really good about that. That's your identity, right? But what happens when those things go away? Like what happens when you print those nice, beautiful business cards that say VP of whatever, and then your boss walks in and we're downsizing, you're gone, and you're no longer VP of whatever. Does that change your identity? Does that change who you are? So one of the ways that we tend to identify ourselves is by what we do. Closely connected, that is what I have. Like your identity is based on the things you've acquired. And so you feel good about yourself because you have stuff. And the way you feel good about yourself is that you compare yourself to others. Like you have more than somebody else has. I feel good. But then you're walking along and you've got this beautiful car and then you see that Lamborghini drive by and you're like, whoa. They, they have more than I do. And so that starts to erode at your identity. And so then you get into this rat race where you're just chasing after identity through the things that you acquire, the things that you have. Another identifier is what I did. Like some of these Ephesians had a pretty rough past. I mean, they were idolatrous temple worshipers, sexually immoral. That's who they were. And so they would could potentially identify with themselves by the things that they have done. And I suspect in any single service that we may have here on a Sunday morning, there are some of you sitting out here say, yeah, I am, I am what I used to do. I identify myself by the sin I committed. Like you might have a long face because you committed adultery and now you're no longer married and you just carry that around. You're just walking around. That's just who I am. I'm just an adulterer. It's what I did. Another identifier that Paul uses is what I desire. Like, I identify myself based on what I desire. 
So I'm not de defining my desires. My desires are defining me. My desires are defining me. This was true in Ephesus. There was, like I said, there was this temple prostitution where you would walk into the temple of Diana and you would basically, they would ask you, what is your pleasure? What is your desire? And uh, you would say, I, I want this, or I'm not gonna even get into these gross, the gross actually, but, but then whatever your desire was was satisfied. And Ephesus became known for that. Like people would travel to Ephesus for that very reason because they could fulfill their, their desires. And so there's all kinds of challenges with this though. When you identify yourself by your desires, um, not, not the least of which is we are a bag of mixed, we're a mixed bag of desires. You know, like we're, we're, we have all kinds of desires, right? So when you have a different types of desires and some of these desires start competing against each other, which desire is, which one is your identity? Who are you based on your desires? An example of this be would, would be a husband who, who you know, has sexual desire towards a flirtatious coworker. That's a desire that he has, but then he also desires to be faithful to his wife and his children. And so which one does he, which one is he? Like, if you take scripture out of the, if you take God out of the picture, you take scripture out of the picture, which one is he? Well, our culture will say, well, just, just choose the one that feels, the, feels right. Just choose that one. But then we're confused because here's the problem is we are also told that we can't really control our desires. They're just there. We can't choose one or the other. They just are. That's who we are because that's how we feel. And so it gets very confusing very quickly. And we see this desire thing in our culture. Like the primary identifier in our culture these days is, is gender. So we have words like binary and non-binary and gender fluid. And frankly, there's just a lot of confusion around that. Not just within the church. I mean, the church is obviously confused about it, but our culture is confused about it. There's a lot of competing ideas about this, and we're just struggling. And we, we're struggling in the workplace. We're struggling in, in, in our church. We're struggling in, in family circles. There's just a struggle all the way around because there's just a lot of confusion around gender identity. But we shouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, from the very beginning, it says that in Genesis 1, it says that God made us, God created us. And how did he create us? Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so since the very beginning, there has been a challenge to that, a resistance to that. So much so that today, like in recent months, I guess, or year or so, there's the American Medical Association who recommends that we no longer use the identifiers of male and female with on birth certificates because it's too narrow of a definition, right? So there's a lot of identity confusion. Our culture calls it gender dysphoria, but I'm not really gonna talk about that. But what is our response? So this is the world that we live in. How do we respond to that? Well, I think the first way that we respond is we respond with compassion. We talked about that last week, that we need to see people the way Jesus sees people. Like, we need to ask questions like, what would it be like to be in their shoes? Right? We need to have that. And now, that doesn't lead towards necessarily forgetting about what Paul talks about or what God talks about in terms of our identity. But what it does is it gives us a heart of compassion towards them to help them understand who they are in Christ. That their identity doesn't have to be 
swaying back and forth and on shaky ground based on your feelings, that your identity can actually be on solid ground, which is Christ Jesus. But another way that we need to respond to this is we need to respond with clarity. Like we need to ask the question, how do I know what my identity is? And who gets to say what my identity is? And who determines my identity, right? And so here's a question I think the Ephesians had to struggle with or had to wrestle with and we have to wrestle with as well. And that is this, which is truer? When there's competing identities, which identity is truer? Or if that's bothersome to you, what, which is more true? I don't know, some people, are like, grammatical people are like, ah, oh, that's a bad word. Which one is more true, right? What is truer about you? Like when you have these identities, there's two things that are, that are true of you, like it's true of you, but they're in conflict, which one is more true? Like, so I hear of a family, there's a family um, that I know that the whole family attends church. And the mother would label herself or, or identify herself as a conservative Christian. And then she would probably, in certain circles, add the tagline, Republican. Okay? That's who she is. That's her identity. That's who she calls herself, what she calls herself, right? And then she's got adult children that uh, there's been, in the last several years, just this fragmentation happening among the, in the family. Um, and... The, it, it's been in the last four or five years it's been happening where the children have actually left that identifier of conservative Christian Republican identifier and she would say, this is how she would label them, she would say they are liberal and I'm not even sure if they even believe in Jesus anymore. That's how she would identify them. And so what's happened over these last four or five years is this Brokenness has happened within the family. They don't talk to each other. She doesn't get to see her grandkids. Um, if they do meet up, it usually ends up in some knockdown, drag out, blow out kind of argument in the family, and they just split ways and they don't talk to each other for a long time. And so she identifies herself as a conservative Christian, Republican. That's how she identifies herself. And that's true of her. But what else is true? She's a mother, right? And as a mother, you want to love your kids. You want to care for your kids. You want to nurture your kids, right? So the question to ask, she needs to ask herself is, which one is truer? I'm a conservative Christian Republican or I'm a mother? I would say I'm a mother. Like I can change my political affiliation, but I cannot change I cannot change my parent, me being a mother. And that defines who I am as a person, but it also defines my relationships with them. So which one is truer? So what I want to do is next few minutes is I want us to look at Ephesians 1 <clears throat> real quick and, and kind of put this question over the top of it. Which one is truer? Like you may have walked in here this morning, you feel rejected, you feel abandoned, you feel betrayed, you feel alone. Like that's how you feel, and if somebody asked you, you would identify yourself as rejected, abandoned, alone, betrayed. That's how you would identify yourself. That is true of you. 
right? And, and, and the such, you're not just making that up. It's true of you. You have stories to tell with it. You say, I apply for the job and, and I never got a call back. I feel rejected by that company where I, I loved him and I, I, I cared for him and I, I expressed my love to him and he never returned love to me. And so I feel abandoned by that person. That's how you feel. And so you would say what is true of you is that you feel rejected, abandoned, betrayed, alone. But you know what else is true of you? Is you're chosen. You are chosen. You've been chosen by God. And so you're not just rejected. It's true, you're rejected, you're abandoned alone. But what's also true is that you're chosen. So which one of those two is truer? Which one, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Or maybe you're, you know, one of our, my friends in Celebrate Recovery. And you know yourself. You know everything about yourself. You know that you have, <clears throat> you know that you have really screwed things up in your past. There's some addictive behavior in your life that has just caused things to just go really the wrong way. Maybe you're divorced because of it. Maybe, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff that could happen as a result of it. And so you might stand and say, what is true of me is that I'm an addict. That might be true of you. But you know what else is true of you? What Paul says in Ephesians 1, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. So the question to ask yourself is which one is truer? I'm an addict or I am redeemed. Like identity, guys, is the truest thing about you. And there's a lot of things that are true about you. Like we are a mixed bag of people here this morning, and many of you can, can say, yeah, this is true about me, this, and, what, and what's true about you is not true about somebody else. There's a whole lot of truth about ourselves in this room right now. There are many things that are true about us, and there are many things that are, that are more true about us as well. But the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And that's where we're going to go in this series is we're going to try to hear what God says about us and who we are. That's the truest thing about you. Listen, the struggle is real, and I get it. Because there's those voices in our head that are constantly, constantly attacking us. And so you might walk out of here this morning, and you might say to yourself, you know, like, Pastor Rich, you're right, you're right, you're right. But as soon as you walk out that door, you hear that voice says, no, it's your identity is wrapped up in what you achieve. So go out there and achieve more so you can feel better about yourself. Or no, no, you're, you're, yeah, Pastor Rich might be right, but your identity is all wrapped up in what you did. You are a failure. You're a loser. That's who you are. But we've got to decide which voice are we going to listen to. God's voice, our culture's voice, our own inner voice sometimes. Who are we going to listen to? I want us to end today with this game. I'm going to call it the stand-up game. You ever heard of the stand-up game? Worship team's going to come in. I think they're coming to get ready here. Uh, The stand-up game. You ever heard of that? A lot of youth do this stand-up game. Like, it's an identifier game. Like, you stand up if this is you, right? And so I might say, don't stand up. But I might say, how many of you are Cyclone fans here? You know, you would stand up. And you would identify as a Cyclone fan. How many of you are Hawkeye fans? And you'd stand up and you'd identify as a Hawkeye fan. How many of you are Panther fans? You stand up, you identify as a Panther fan. How many of you are Cowboy fans? And all of you would stand up and say, yes, we're Cowboy fans. We, we love the Cowboys. <laughs> right? So that's, just, that's, that's the idea of this, this game. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few things that are true of us. Right? Um, these are the truest things about you. And you might feel they're not. You might think, oh, no, these aren't true, Rich. They're not true. But it's not your choice. It's what God has already said about you. If you're in Christ, this is who you are, Period. 
And so I'm gonna read these things, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these are, th- these are things that are gonna be true about you. And so the stand-up game is this. Once I read that, that, that truth about you, you need to stand up. And you're identifying, that's true about me. Okay, in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton, I want you to play the game as well. You're gonna stand up when I read these things. Now, a hint or a, a kind of a little hack here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you stand up on the first one and you stay standing. Okay, because it doesn't work. Like if, don't sit back down either because they're, these are like, okay, they're all true. All right, all right, so here we go. Second Corinthians chapter five says, I am in, I'm a new creation. I am not who I used to be. So stand up if that's true of you. Cedar Rapids, Corval, campuses. All right. Ephesians 6.10, I am strong in the Lord. Romans 1.7, I am a saint. Romans 8, I am more than a conqueror. I am loved with an everlasting love. I am set free. Matthew 5, I am the righteousness of God. I am God's workmanship. I am beloved of God. And then I love this last one, 1 John 5. I am born of God. I am born of God. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Amen? That is who you are. It's not who you decide you are. It's what God says about you. That's who you are. And these are all true. Now, these last ones, I'm going to have to read us, I want us to read it together. Because these are the ones that are found in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read it together, and then we're going to have a moment of worship where you'll get to respond. Okay, so let's start with this. So we're, we're going to say this together, okay? I am chosen. chosen. I am. I am. I am. Amen. I am. I am. I am loved. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, I just want to thank you, God. Father, I thank you, God, that you have chosen us, that you've called us out. Father, you are the one who defines who we are, not this culture, not the world that we live in, not my friends. Not even that, that heart that I have, that feeling that I have inside of me. Father, you are the definer of who I am. And so right now, Father, we submit ourselves to what you say about us. We are no longer slaves. Hallelujah. We've been set free. We are redeemed. We are chosen. We are forgiven. And so, Father, help us in this series as we go along, Father, to help us, help us to live out who we truly are and what our identity is. In Jesus' name, amen.